This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. So if your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened, I'm okay, other people have it worse, it doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Quote, the North American Union is a supranational organization modeled on the European Union that will soon fuse Canada, the United States, and Mexico into a single economic and political unit. The details are still being worked out by the country's leaders, but the NAU's central governing body will have the power to nullify the laws of its member states. Goods and people will flow among the three countries unimpeded, aided by a network of continent-girdling superhighways. The U.S. and Canadian dollars, along with the peso, will be phased out and replaced by a common North American currency called the Amero. If you haven't heard about the NAU, that may be because its plotters have succeeded in keeping it secret. Or... More likely, because there is no such thing. That's an excerpt from a 2007 article in the New York Times addressing and denying the looming emergence of the North American Union. The New York Times wasn't the only newspaper to treat the idea of the NAU as unfounded or even a joke. 
The media, government officials, and political analysts and scholars are all quick to deny what they claim is an ultra-right-wing fantasy. They call the NAU a conspiracy theory driven by fears about the Bush administration's expansive take on executive power, immigration, and globalization. But some people argue that those media, political, and academic elites are exactly the same people behind the plot. They would never admit NAU's existence, not while they are slowly building it up behind the scenes. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories on the Parcast Network. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. It really does help. Uh, we also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com merch for more information. You can listen to previous episodes of Conspiracy Theories, as well as all of Parcast's other shows wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we're investigating the rumored proposed plans for a North American Union, an EU-style supernation comprised of what is now Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. According to journalists, academics, political analysts, and spokespeople for all three governments in question, the development of a North American Union is a myth. It's not something today's adults will see in their lifetimes, at least. But some people believe there's something more going on behind the scenes. In the mid-2000s, rumors began to circulate that President George W. Bush, Mexico's President Vicente Fox, and Canada's Prime Minister Paul Martin were conspiring to fuse their borders, currencies, and policies with the secret support of the international elite. Superhighways running from Mexico to Canada and a universal currency, the Amero, would characterize the joint state. Considering the anti-immigration sentiment that ran through the mid-2000s and the nationalism that surged through the country after 9-11, the likelihood of this globalist vision sounds a whole lot more like paranoia than reality. But parts of it actually have a basis in fact. Plans to build a superhighway from the Mexican-Texas border northward were proposed in the early 2000s and received support from then-governor of Texas, Rick Perry. Some political commentators, including public figures like the Wall Street Journal editor Robert Bartley, also expressed support for an expansion of the North American Free Trade Agreement into more holistic cooperation between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Robert Pastor, an academic and former Carter administration official, even proposed a unified North American currency called the Amero. And in 2005, President Bush, President Fox of Mexico, and Prime Minister Martin of Canada announced the Security and Prosperity Partnership, which would deepen NAFTA and facilitate greater cooperation between the three nations on trade and security issues. 
Those are the key points conspiracy theorists latched onto, notably Jerome Corsi, who in 2007 wrote The Late Great USA, a bestseller that consolidated the rumors and suspicions into a clear theory of imminent loss of U.S. sovereignty. His book gripped the nation, rising to number 28 on the New York Times bestseller list and number one on Amazon's nonfiction list. Next week, we'll examine the conspiracy theory he proposed and all the threads that fed into it. But first, let's look at the official explanation that these points are no conspiracy, but merely conversation and coincidence. To understand the situation, we have to go back to 1994 and the establishment of the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA. The agreement, still in place today until Trump's replacement is ratified, and which is called the United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, opened up free trade between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada with the intention of stimulating economic growth for all three countries. Specifically, it eliminated tariffs on many imports and exports flowing between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. But for protectionist-minded conservatives, free trade was concerning. They worried it would take jobs and livelihoods, particularly in manufacturing, out of the U.S. and across the border to Mexico, where labor was cheaper. Now, that position isn't absolute fact. Many economists have argued that U.S. manufacturing has been in decline since the 1950s, and NAFTA did little to hasten that steady slope. But in the face of that steady decline in U.S. manufacturing over the years, any extra punch to the industry, however small, was felt. The people in communities affected by a transition to a low manufacturing economy were not happy. Plus, NAFTA came in the wake of the fall of the Soviet Union. With that came a shift in the focus of right-wing nationalist anxieties. The only other world superpower was gone. Political analyst Chip Berlay explained to the New York Times that without the threat of USSR infiltration into the U.S. government, nationalist anxieties started to cluster around international organizations with influence over U.S. politics. Organizations like the U.N. and trade unions like the World Trade Organization, for example, their influence, right-wing critics worried, was eroding U.S. sovereignty. NAFTA seemed tailor-made to inflame concerns about power shifting from the local to the global. And the mid-90s did see plenty of active response to nationalist anxieties. The militia movement, notably, channeled them into armed right-wing groups that claimed the UN was on its way to a U.S. takeover. The militia movement was short-lived but it was only one small, if visible, part of a broader patriot movement, which lingered on the edges of conservative politics through the 2000s. The patriot movement's vehemently anti-immigrant stance wasn't hugely popular in the early 2000s. There was a cross-party consensus that immigration was largely good for the U.S., the issue only became a partisan one in 2006, when President Bush pushed immigration reform. The reform ultimately failed in Congress, but the conversation President Bush started led to national pro-immigration reform demonstrations. And in turn, a conservative backlash against naturalization and immigration at large. 
Meanwhile, after 2001, with 9-11 and Bush's choice to take the U.S. to war, U.S. international financial dominance was coming under question. The euro-dollar exchange rate started to flip, with the euro mounting in value every year until 2008's financial crisis. And President Bush, in the face of September 11th and in the name of the war on terror, was interpreting the limits of his executive power very broadly, directing the CIA and NSA to engage in electronic eavesdropping, detaining individuals and authorizing torture. This broad attitude towards executive power concerned critics across the political spectrum. For those on the rightmost edge of the political spectrum, their anxiety about the nation's power and security at large was combined with anxiety about the nation's acting leader. Bush was a Republican president, but the patriot faction of his party didn't have much love for him. He was establishment, a coastal elite, part of a system of power they distrusted. It wouldn't take much to spin a full-fledged conspiracy out of their suspicion and fear of Washington. And of the southern border. The nationalistic and conspiratorially minded seized on Bush and his administration, seeing international influence and money corrupting and controlling his actions. It would just take a few pieces of evidence to come together and birth the North American Union. When we come back, we'll take a look at those events, the official explanations of why they happened, and what they mean for North America. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life, at least not the ones you're thinking of, but they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home, like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the story. The first factor that will ultimately feed into the NAU theory is the Trans-Texas Corridor, basically several huge roads through Texas. The original proposal for the Trans-Texas Corridor, or TTC, gained the support of then-Texas Governor Rick Perry in 2001. The proposal was for a network of so-called super corridors that would connect all of Texas, first and foremost, North Texas with South Texas and the Mexican border. The super corridors would be up to 1,200 feet wide. That's more than the length of three football fields. 
They would be composed of separate tollways for cars and trucks, rails, and utility lines. The TTC was a concrete symbol of the power of free trade to change the landscape of the U.S., both literally and figuratively. It was in large part a response to the increase in truck traffic that NAFTA ushered through Texas. It was also a symbol of the role international investment, and therefore international control, plays in the economy. Governor Perry decided to champion the TTC project because it brought with it major investment from Sintra, a Madrid-Spain-based construction company. Sintra's investment solved Perry's dilemma of finding funding for much-needed infrastructure improvement across the state. Sintra, for their part, would make back their investment by operating the new TTC as a toll road. Investors like Sintra, foreign or domestic, are not unusual partners in big infrastructure projects. The TTC would have been far from the first toll road in the U.S. to be operated by an international company. And Sintra's investment wouldn't mean they owned the road either. Rather, by building the road, they got the leasing rights, the right to operate the road and collect tolls. American soil under the stewardship of Spanish management. Yes, or international cooperation to build much-needed roads. It's a question of perspective. Governor Perry kept pushing the TTC plan through the 2000s, but he faced major backlash. Texas farmers, ranchers, and environmentalists were worried about the huge amounts of land the TTC would require the state to purchase under eminent domain rights. Much of the TTC would have run through Texas's Blackland Prairies, some of the country's richest farmland. Ultimately, Governor Perry and the TTC lost. In 2009, plans for the Super Corridor were scaled back into a smaller, more traditional road project. By 2011, even the amended plans were abandoned. While traditional local opposition within Texas certainly played a role in shutting down the TTC project, the vocal criticism by conspiracists like Jerome Corsi, whose book about the NAU scheme was published in 2007, likely had a role in it as well. It's hard to say what might have happened with the project without the intervention of NAU believers. But what's for sure is that the myth of the TTC would long outlive the project itself. The TTC project is one of the main points of contention for NAU conspiracy theorists, but other road projects planned in the 2000s play into the theory as well. And there were a lot of them. The nonprofit organization North America Super Corridor Coalition, Inc., or NASCO, founded in 1994, advocates for improved infrastructure in and between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada to facilitate international trade. Specifically, the group supports linking Interstates 35, 29, and 94 to create a single route through what they call the International Mid-Continent Trade Corridor. Notably, NASCO has no plans to actually build that infrastructure themselves. They're solely an advocacy group. But NASCO's plans for new roads demonstrated a changing reality in the U.S. Domestic highways were becoming, in Jerome Corsi's words, continental trade routes that can accommodate increasing trade, anticipating a continued shift of U.S. manufacturing overseas. The reality was that free trade and globalization were transforming the American economy. 
And it's true, too, that President Bush was trying to embrace that change by establishing a business-oriented and, after 9-11, security-oriented partnership with the United States neighbors. In March 2005, the TTC controversy was still going strong throughout Texas when President George Bush, Mexico's President Vicente Fox, and Canada's Prime Minister Paul Martin all met for a summit in Waco, smack in the middle of the state. This summit is another key piece of the NAU puzzle. Here's some contemporary reporting. The three leaders met for more than an hour. We had a good discussion about uh, prosperity and Security, it turns out the two go hand in hand. It wasn't unlike any other meeting between the leaders of neighboring countries. They came together to discuss ways they might help one another and mutually benefit. It's the result of this summit, though, which put the suspicious on edge. While we don't know exactly what the leaders discussed, we know they came out of the meeting with what they called a security and prosperity partnership, or an SPP. The three leaders are now concluding about 90 minutes of talks here on the campus of Baylor University. They're about to meet the press to talk about what they talked about. President Bush said that obviously when you've got three countries that share the same continent, there are many issues that they're going to share in common and that they can work on in common. And he said that was basically the point of this summit meeting. The actual meeting itself lasted for about an hour before the three leaders came and met the press. And the president said that They're going to continue working on issues of mutual concern in a new way. They're going to do it in a much more concrete way, forming a special panel on the minister's level to take care of issues that they need to address. The partnership was intended to facilitate greater cooperation on trade and security issues, according to the statement the leaders released. It would look for ways to deepen the groundwork laid by NAFTA and implement more effective, cooperative anti-terror policies. Practically speaking, the SPP was composed of a number of trilateral working groups, organized under different cabinet-level members of the U.S., Canadian, and Mexican governments. It didn't involve any signed documents or official treaties. Working groups is essentially a name for research or discussion groups on a particular topic, forums for brainstorming policy. SPP was, naturally, created without congressional approval, since there was no actual legislation to approve. But that actually was a point of contention, at least on the trade front. Criticism of the agreement from conservative commentators was immediate. They were alarmed that President Bush had entered into this so-called partnership without congressional approval, despite the lack of any signed documents. To these commentators, facilitating trilateral trade was not at all a path to security and prosperity. But there's a bit more background to what worried conservative critics. To fully understand the anxiety about this agreement, it's important to understand exactly what scared some patriot types about President Vicente Fox. President Bush says that there are ways in which the three nations can coordinate try to keep the bad guys out and let the good guys in. Letting the good guys in is an important issue to Mexican President Vicente Fox. He is lobbying very heavily here for more easy access across the U.S. border for Mexican nationals. In 2000, in the first days of his presidency, Fox announced what he called his 2020 vision, 
a 20-year plan which would expand NAFTA into a European Union-inspired common market. The plan, while never acknowledged by Bush as his personal goal, did garner the support of some mainstream conservative commentators in the U.S., notably Robert Bartley, an editor at The Wall Street Journal. Bartley published an editorial on July 2, 2001, stating, quote, Reformist Mexican President Vicente Fox raises eyebrows with his suggestion that over a decade or two, NAFTA should evolve into something like the European Union, with open borders for not only goods and investment, but also people. He can rest assured that there is one voice north of the Rio Grande that supports his vision, to wit, this newspaper. So President Fox's goal of an EU-style North American Union was clear, and it was clear he had support amongst the coastal political elite, even at a conservative-leaning publication like the Wall Street Journal. The Security and Prosperity Partnership was aligned enough with Fox's vision to cause alarm for the conspiratorially-minded. But before a full-fledged conspiracy theory formed, a few more pieces of the North American Union puzzle had to fall into place. A crucial one was Dr. Robert A. Pastor. Dr. Pastor was a political science professor at American University in Washington, D.C. Under President Jimmy Carter, he was a member of the National Security Council staff. And he was the author of two texts that became key to NAU believers. The first of those was his 2001 book, Towards a North American Community, which argued for greater economic integration between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. It also proposed the possibility of a common currency between the nations. He called that currency the Amero. Now, this book was a scholarly publication from an academic proposing political policy. Keyword, proposing. Scores of academics publish texts exploring potential policy ideas every year. But Pastor had a background as an advisor to the government, as a member of the Carter administration staff, and as an expert on Latin American foreign policy frequently called before Congress. He wasn't just any old academic. He moved through the spaces where decisions got made. Plus, his book was very neatly positioned to strike up the fears of a certain group of right-wing Americans who wanted borders tight and American sovereignty untouched by international influence. But the book wasn't the only thing Pastor wrote to alarm the concerned. Two months after the Waco, Texas summit in March 2005, Pastor was involved with another text published by the Council on Foreign Relations. The Council on Foreign Relations, or CFR, is an independent, nonpartisan think tank that publishes the journal Foreign Affairs. Pastor was a member of the Council's independent task force on the future of North America. Other members included financiers, business people, researchers, and former government officials from Canada and Mexico. This was an illustrious group, and not just on an academic front. They had real power, financial and otherwise. And they brought real expertise to the question of North American relationships. True. But gathered under the auspices of the CFR, there was a particular kind of perspective they were likely to bring to the discussion. The CFR has a long history of supporting internationalist solutions to foreign policy questions, ever since its early support of organizations like the United Nations. 
It's important to note, though, that a task force, like a working group, is essentially a policy research group. And this one, unlike the SPP groups, wasn't even associated with a government, much less all three North American governments. True, but they shared a certain goal with the leaders of the three countries. In May 2005, the CFR Task Force on the Future of North America published a report called Building a North American Community. The 47-page report, published in English, French, and Spanish, included recommendations like the establishment of a security perimeter around the outer edges of Canada and Mexico, within which movement would be free and legal, the development of North American border passes with biometric identifiers, and the adoption of a common North American tariff. In sum, the report proposes deepening of the cooperation between Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., including eliminating the restriction on movements of individuals between the countries. Now, there's no mention of the Amero or any other joint currency in this text. It suggests less comprehensive integration than Pastor's book. But the kind of integration it suggests has a similar attitude towards borders, a globalist over nationalist outlook, and an emphasis on open rather than protectionist trade. Basically, it's perfect fodder, like Pastor's 2001 book, for the anxiously nationalistic. Now, there's a bit farther to go before we've gathered all the information and points of contention that will lead to the NAU theory. Next, let's talk about the North American Forum. The forum raises alarms by bringing together the corporate interests, academics, and even government officials behind closed, pricey doors. All the disparate elements that comprise the NAU theory come together at the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel in Banff, Canada. When we come back, we'll discuss the conference and exactly what was so concerning about it for those worried about U.S. sovereignty. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And now back to the story. In 2006, most of the pieces of the North American Union conspiracy theory were already falling into place. The partnership between the leaders of Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., plans for superhighways connecting the three countries, even a proposal for a shared currency. All those ideas would finally come together in 2006 at a hotel in Banff, Canada. The North American Forum was a conference that brought together a diverse cast of business leaders, academics, policy advisors, and government officials. 
The gathering was meant to bring together all kinds of people with a stake in the relations between Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. They would discuss relevant issues, brainstorm solutions to problems, and present papers and ideas on the future of the continent. There was no press invited to the event, nor was it organized under the auspices of a broader organization. That, along with the guest list, stirred the suspicions of the conspiratorially inclined. Now, there's nothing particularly shocking about the business, policy, academic, and government backgrounds of most of the guests. They were exactly the categories of people with a stake in the subjects the conference was exploring, whose professions dictated that they had to stay on top of the latest ideas and proposals in the field of North American relations. But it gets interesting. Dr. Robert Pastor was there, along with about one-third of the CFR task force members who worked with Pastor on the task force for the future of North America. Of course, as policymakers and business people with expertise and interest in the question of the North American future, those CFR working group members would attend a conference on the subject, just like a scholar of Victorian literature would attend a conference on Victorian literature, or a human rights lawyer would attend a conference on international human rights law. They were experts keeping up with an ongoing conversation amongst their colleagues. True. But seeing these same figures pop up again and again giving policy advice and discussing the issues around North American harmony, many of them wealthy, many of them politically connected, most of them both, certainly suggests that there was a distinct group of powerful people pushing for increased integration between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Some of them might have wanted that integration for ideological reasons, like Pastor, the academic, who believed in the universal economic benefit that comes from free trade. Others might have had a distinct financial stake in increased, less regulated or restricted trade and cross-border mobility. Either way, collectively, they had real power to influence political outcomes across North America. It's true. These were powerful people at the conference. But from leaked documents, their agenda doesn't look particularly unusual. Yes, they were in line with the CFR and Pastor's idea of continent-wide security, focusing on continental borders over national ones, continental energy strategy, and continental prosperity. But there were no radical proposals of North American political integration, or at least not in the documents that have become available to the public. Some of the topics we see listed on the agenda, though, are quite suggestive. Session 5 was called Demographic and Social Dimensions of North American Integration. This could mean any number of things, of course, with any number of agendas behind them. But it does suggest that at least some of the conference attendees envisioned a North American relationship that extended beyond trade and security questions. That extension may have been a discussion of something as crucial and unconnected to the NAU theory as how to improve U.S.-Mexican relations in the face of a distinct anti-immigration faction within the U.S. or any number of other demographic and social questions about North American relations. But we can't be sure, because the conference was so secretive. It didn't share its presentations and papers with the public. Aside from the leaked agenda and attendee list, 
We can't be sure what went on in those sessions and whether or not their goals envisioned a North American Union or not. There's another element of the North American Forum that rang alarm bells. The attendance of Thomas Shannon, the Assistant Secretary of State for Western Hemisphere Affairs. Shannon chaired one of the sessions at the NAF, and a speech he gave that was later published indicates that he wasn't just there to check out the discussion. He is a proponent of deepening NAFTA through the SPP agreement. In that same speech, Shannon also emphasized that Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. have identities, quote, as different as we are in our national sovereignty, end quote. He wasn't advocating for merging governments, just increasing cooperation. But Shannon's positive attitude towards increased North American cooperation, as well as his connection to the Banff North American Forum, suggests that there was a network of powerful people in elite circles, ranging from business to governments themselves, that were behind Bush's support of the SPP agreement. It certainly provided another piece of fodder for the NAU theory, too. Well, there's one more development in 2006 that it's important to understand. The establishment of the North American Competitiveness Council, or NACC. The NACC was composed of business leaders who would advise cabinet members on, and I quote from the press release, North American competitiveness, including, among others, areas such as automotive and transportation, steel, manufacturing, and services. In other words, NACC gave big business a direct channel into the ear of the executive branch of the U.S. government. The council was organized by the Department of Commerce under the auspices of the 2005 SPP agreement. And it further integrated big business right into the U.S. government with the goal of integrating trade between Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. The NACC was only active for three years, from 2006 to 2009. During that time, its 30 members attended meetings regarding the SPP and NAFTA to advise on priorities for business and trade integration across North America. According to one of the council's members, Ron Covey of the U.S.-based corporation Lockheed Martin, quote, the guidance from the ministers was, Tell us what we need to do and we'll make it happen. He said the council, quote, decided not to recommend any things that would require legislative changes, end quote, to avoid having to go through the legislature of any of the three countries. Instead, they focused on goals that could be implemented directly by bureaucrats and executive agencies. Covey said that decision was based on the fact that, quote, we won't get anywhere, end quote, by working with national legislatures. Which raises the question, what ideas did the NACC bring to the table that they knew would be shot down by Congress? Were they really working towards security and prosperity for all of North America? Or were they more concerned with lining their own pockets? The threat of international business interests seeping into the U.S. government's decision-making and influencing U.S. policy decisions plays a major role in a great deal of conspiracy theories, including the North American Union theory. The NACC is only one of many sources of suspicion. Whether or not you believe that the U.S. is on the brink of a massive political merger with the rest of North America, 
The NAU theory raises compelling points about the interest groups that influence U.S. policy. As conspiracy theorists remind us, money talks. Next week, we'll delve into the NAU conspiracy, which predicts that the Trans-Texas Corridor, the Security and Prosperity Partnership, and the North American Forum are the early roots of a globalist North American future where American people are beholden to international corporate interests. As we mentioned earlier, this theory was proposed in a book by conspiracy theorist Jerome R. Corsi. The theory unexpectedly spread like wildfire through households across America after its publication in 2007, far beyond the reaches of most of Corsi's and his compatriots' articles on websites like WorldNet Daily. The theory influenced discussions about foreign policy, fueled anxieties about America's future, and even made its way into the 2008 presidential campaign trail. It predicted the imminent dissolution of America as we know it. But part of what's so fascinating about the NAU theory is that while its accusations of secrecy, manipulation, and corporate manipulation are alarming, the actual future it suggests of open borders and free trade isn't necessarily terrible. Whether you hate it or maybe even love it is a question of political persuasion. Whether or not you believe the NAU, with its superhighways and Amero, is imminent, the theory of America's future that Corsi puts forward is a fascinating one. We'll discuss it next week. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode, and you can find more episodes of Conspiracy Theories, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by David Turk, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Freddie Beckley. Conspiracy Theories is written by Nora Battelle and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy.